I wonder, uh, if I asked you, uh, what is the thing that we can do which brings the most joy to God's heart? Funny way to phrase the question, but what is the greatest thing that we can do which brings the most joy to God's heart? I assume we want to. I assume we want to please God and make his heart, as it were, glad. Um, But what pleases him most? Is it a good old hymn sung beautifully? Uh, Is it a good old hymn sung however badly? Uh, Is it a good new hymn sung well or badly? Uh, Is it people, is it God seeing people uh, sitting in a church pew or church seat week after week? Does that please his heart most? Uh, Is it when he sees the offering boxes overflowing? with people's gifts? Uh, Is it when someone prays a long prayer? Is it listening to a wonderful, theologically rich sermon? Is that what delights God's heart most? Well, all those things might bring joy to God's heart, but they also might not. All those things done in a certain way, could arouse God's anger. God could turn away from all those things if they're done with the wrong spirit. Because all those things do not get to the heart of what God truly loves. It's not merely in these outward things that God takes delight. As the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When Jesus was asked himself what the greatest commandment was, do you remember what his response was? His response was the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What brings the most joy to the heart of God is genuine love. First directed towards him and then directed towards others. That's what truly pleases the heart of God. Genuine, fervent love to him and to others. And anything we do where that love is lacking does not delight the heart of God, no matter how well we might do it. In these verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter has already uh, expressed how we should love God. He's described how, if you're a believer here this morning, Uh, If you've trusted in Christ, if you believe he died for you on the cross and that the only hope you have is what Jesus has done for you, then you have a wonderful inheritance reserved for you in heaven. Uh, Nothing in this world can touch you forever. 
And he says, in light of that, our hearts should be overflowing with joy and love for Christ. As he says earlier, uh, him who you do not see, you love. And from verses 13 to 21, he describes how our lives should express love to God. But in these last few verses, he moves on to say how that love for God should then overflow in love for others. And that's what God chiefly desires from our lives. Uh, Look what he says in verse 22. Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart. So that's really the theme this morning. Peter commands us, Christ through Peter commands us, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Over and above anything else God wants us to do, go to church, read our Bibles, pray, God wants us to love one another fervently. I don't know if you noticed the verse on the front of your service sheet, Um, but Paul uh, wrote something very similar in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Paul says that if you truly love another... If you truly love God and if you truly love your neighbor, then you've fulfilled the law. You've accomplished the spirit that lies behind all the laws that God gives. Because that is the linchpin of what makes something good or bad, whether it is motivated by love. As I said, that means that you may pray, you may read your Bible, you may come faithfully to church every single week. If that does not spring from a heart of love, it's virtually meaningless. But on the flip side of that, uh, you might make many mistakes in your life. Uh, When you pray, you might not use the right words. Um, You may mess up in your efforts to love other people. They may take it the wrong way. You may not know how to do it. You may stumble in many ways. Uh, You may not wear the right thing. You may not say the right thing, but if your desire is truly to want to obey God and to love others, then God is pleased even when we stumble. In that way, he's like the best parent there is. Um, I've seen, I think it was was an advert or something where uh, it was on a Mother's Day and a child in an effort to um, treat uh, their mum on Mother's Day had made a or tried to make a early morning breakfast and as a result the kitchen was a disaster zone uh, and their best efforts to make a wonderful breakfast didn't end very well but what sort of parent would look at that and rebuke that child? Perhaps there may be some rebuke needed in some areas but the love remains true even if it's expressed in less than ideal ways. 
Likewise, God looks at our hearts, and if there is genuine love there, he is pleased. Sadly, many churches uh, lose sight of this. Uh, Many churches uh, can get defined by layers of unessential things, which God cares about comparatively little. Uh, Some churches care about things which never even entered the thoughts of God. God never even spoke about, and yet they become very important to churches. But God says, this is what I care about, that you love one another fervently from a pure heart. That's what he wants most of all. That's what he wants to see on a Sunday morning. That's what he wants to see every day of the week. Hearts which are soft and warm with love for him and love for others. So that's what God commands. Uh, But you notice how we are to love. Uh, God's not just satisfied with an outward love. Look what Peter writes. He says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. We're to love fervently. In other words, our love should be sincere, not manufactured. Um, we can have all sorts of motives for loving people, can't we? Uh, we can have all sorts of reasons why we do good to other people, but not all of them are sincere. Uh, I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. There was once a um, man who was recently married and his uh, wife was pregnant. And he was surprised that his office workers were, um, as the date for the uh, birth approached, uh, kept asking him, how's your wife doing? When's the baby due? Uh, And asked him lots of questions, seemingly out of concern for his wife and their soon-to-be-born baby. But then he discovered that there'd actually been a sweepstake in the office, and there was a bet on when the baby would be due. So their concern was not motivated by sincere love. It was motivated, well, it was, but by a love of money more than a love for this man and his wife and their baby. Do you see how our concern can often veil less good motives? How often have you perhaps said to someone, hi, uh, how are you doing? Uh, Great to see you. When you don't really mean it, Uh, You'd be uh, quite put out if the person actually started giving you a detailed description of how they're truly feeling. You might be wondering, how am I going to get out of this one? (laughs) I didn't expect to get into this conversation asking the question. I was just being polite. You see how our words cannot always be sincere. What about this? Have you ever done this where you perhaps lost touch with someone and you suddenly realise that this person has something or could do something to help you in a particular situation, but you haven't uh, been in touch with them for a while, so you kind of clear the ground ahead of time and you show a concern for them to sort of rebuild the relationship just so you can get the thing which you can get out of them. You haven't given them a thought until then, but again, what's motivating you? Uh, It's what that person can give to you not genuine concern for them. 
so much of what people call love is really what is called need love. Uh, we love others because of what we can get out of them. Uh, they give us something, and so we say we love them. Uh, but that is not the highest love. That is not true love. That is not loving fervently from a pure heart. Uh, many relationships are full of this where a boyfriend or a girlfriend love their partner, but it's all because of what that person can give to them. When life starts getting difficult, when the person stops giving them what they got out of them before, their love can quickly disappear because the love is not deep and genuine. Uh, Peter says to us, he says, love one another fervently from a pure heart. And the key to that is understanding that true love, pure love, is not motivated by selfish concerns. Uh, It's not motivated by what you can get out of it. Instead, pure love is motivated by a desire to obey Christ. And that might surprise you. Uh, You might have thought I was going to say, true love is motivated by a concern for others. And that is true, but even that is not the purest sort of love, because even that sort of love can be corrupted, can be twisted. Um, I'm sure we've all known uh, parents who have genuinely, genuinely have a concern for their children, for example, but it's almost too much concern. It's almost too much love. They, they smother their child. They, they won't allow their child to suffer any sort of inconvenience or danger because they're so concerned about them. And their love, as it were, goes too far and becomes not really love because it harms the child in the end. Uh, it's possible that our concern for someone else can descend into an idolatry or a worship of them. I'm sure we can all think of examples perhaps in our own lives where we've been over-concerned for someone else. Our, our love, if I can put it that way, is too strong. No, our love needs to be guided by God himself. If we want to love people rightly, we need to love God first. I'll say that again. If we, need, we want to love people rightly, we need to love God First, because he guides the way we love other people. And so the opposite of loving someone for what they can get, get, you can get out of them is loving someone because that is what Christ expects of us. I don't know about you, but I actually find that a really comforting thought. Um, it's quite soul-destroying sometimes when you, you look into your heart and ask yourself, do I really love another person? Uh, and if you get into that spiral, you can't really get out of it. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend to you, don't try. Uh, don't try to look deep into your heart to examine your deepest motives. Because the truth is, everything we do is a whole mess of motives, isn't it? Uh, there are all sorts of reasons we do the things that we do. Some of it's genuine concern. Some of it is selfish concern. 
And if you try to dig into that, uh, you just end up with a mess and we can't always work out exactly why we do the things that we do. But instead of asking that question, just ask yourself, do you want to do good to another person because of what they can give you? Or do you want to do good to another person because it's what Christ commands you? And if that's your motivation, then that is a pure motivation. That is loving someone from a pure heart. It's not about what they can get, you can get out of them. It's about obeying your master. And if you are a believer here this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, Christ is your king. And you should love others. We should love one another for no other reason, or we need no other reason, then it's what our master commands us. He says, let us walk in his steps. And we're never, we're never ever more like Jesus than when we're loving each other. Because that's what Jesus did himself, wasn't it? And we're told how Jesus left heaven to come to this world because he loved his church so much. Uh, he gave his life for her. And so when we love each other, when we love the church, we are being like Christ. And as Christ was willing to lay down his life for others, we should be willing to give our lives for each other. Not necessarily dying, although it can come to that, but being willing to give and pour out our lives for one another. And just one little bit... Um, of um, uh, help perhaps with that because I don't think any of us find this easy Uh, I know I certainly don't Uh, it's hard to love others Uh, others are often imperfect Uh, we are imperfect ourselves and it's not always easy to love those around us Uh, but I've always been very helped by the thought um, that don't worry too much about whether you like someone or not. Uh, That's really incidental to the question. Simply commit to love them because Christ commands you to. And you know what happens? When you do that, your heart starts to catch up. Uh, You may dislike someone. You might find someone very irritating. But if you pray about them, for example... If you commit each day to praying for that person, give it time and you'll find yourself feeling a genuine love for that person. As Jesus put it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest time, where you invest love, your heart will catch up eventually. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of the beauties of church. Um, We're sort of thrown together with a bunch of people who aren't necessarily like us, except in one way that they uh, love Christ, we hope. In every other way, people are very different, different ages, uh, different interests, uh, different perspectives. And yet we're put together and we're taught to learn to love one another. This is one of the problems with Um, people who are apt to, um, they call it church hopping. 
uh, where people uh, go to one church and decide, well, you know what, this isn't really, isn't really what I'm looking for, so I'm going to go to another church. And they go to another church and say, well, this isn't really what I'm looking for, I'll go to another church. And they go from church to church to church, trying to find a place where they fit. Now, obviously, there are legitimate reasons why people change church. That's not what I'm speaking of. But some people just can't find, seem to find a fit anywhere. And the problem is, they never learn to love. They never learn what it actually means to love the people in front of them. Because you're never going to find a perfect fit. Uh, You're never going to find a place which suits you perfectly. The world isn't like that. God puts us in churches so that we might learn to love people who are different from us. As I say, there are legitimate reasons Uh, to move from a church but so often those aren't the reasons people move they move simply because they're not getting something that they want and in our sort of consumeristic society our society where we get instantly gratified we can order something on amazon and get it tomorrow morning you can order something on amazon and get it today in some cases we're not very good at learning how to love one another to bear with one another's weaknesses. And that's what Christ commands us to do. Uh, Don't try choosing your neighbour. You can't. Uh, Then you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, of the uh, three men who saw the, uh, sorry, the two men who saw the man dying in the road who'd been attacked by robbers. And the Levite sees and walks on by. The priest sees him, walks on by, and it's the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, who helps the man. And Jesus asks a question at the end. He asks the crowd listening, who was the neighbor to the wounded man? They had asked him the question, who is our neighbor? Whereas Jesus switched the question around and said, who was a neighbor to the man who was hurting? And if that parable teaches us anything it teaches us that we cannot choose our neighbor we're thrown alongside all sorts of different people and god calls us to love them not to choose them not to choose whether we show love to them but those who come alongside us we are to show love to whoever they are that's what love is and that's why peter exhorts us, encourages us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. But lastly, uh, he gives us a final reason why we should love. He says we should love. He says we should love fervently with a pure heart. But then lastly, in verse 23, he says why we should love. Look at verse 23. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word which lives and abide, the word of God which lives and abides forever. Peter says, love one another because you've been born again. You have a new life within you. Uh, it's worth reminding ourselves the situation that Peter is writing to here. He's writing to people who are suffering, who are in difficulty, who are in distress. And isn't that interesting that to these people who are going through difficulty, he tells them, love one another. Um, I don't know what your instinct is, what to say to someone who's suffering. 
Uh, but I suspect it's probably not, don't forget to love other people. Because <laughs> in that moment, you're, you're wanting to bring comfort and support, and you, you might tell them to keep their chin up and, and to stay strong. But Peter, talking to these Christians who are suffering and are in difficulty, amongst other things, he says to them, love one another fervently. Do not forget to love each other, even in your suffering. Because times of suffering are actually some of the most important and revealing times in our lives. Um, How we behave when we're suffering says a great deal of who we truly are on the inside. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to do this, but whenever I'm suffering in whatever mild or not so mild way, uh, I'm tempted to use that suffering as an excuse for my bad behavior. Uh, Have you ever said things like, oh, oh, sorry, I, I was tired, or I was hungry, or I was hangry, that's the word they use today, isn't it? And we excuse our bad behavior because of the suffering we're going through. But the funny thing is, You can't blame suffering for bad behavior. Actually, suffering, all it does is reveal what is truly going on on the inside. Uh, Suffering exposes the true state of our hearts. Uh, I don't know if you've ever said this. Have you ever perhaps been angry and in a moment of Uh, temper you've said something and then afterwards you said sorry I didn't mean what I said well actually if we were to be more honest we would say sorry I shouldn't have said what I really thought because that's the truth isn't it what we say so often in a fit of anger is what we are truly thinking in our heads but normally we have more self-control and we keep that hidden underneath and we say it more politely (coughs) suffering so often tests what's really going on inside and Peter's already told them that Uh, Peter says to them in verse 6 he says about the inheritance they have in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold and perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says to them that you are suffering to show the genuineness of your faith, what is happening on the inside. Though it's difficult now, it's revealing the gold that God has created underneath. And it's very similar to what Peter's saying here. He says, love one another fervently, Because you've been born again. You've been given new life. And the suffering helps expose the new life that is within us. Uh, Peter says that uh, if you're a believer here this morning, uh, if you've trusted in Christ, if you've asked him to forgive you for your sins because of what he did on the cross, you have a new life within you. You have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love living within you. Uh, He is, as it were, flowing in your veins. You know, being born again isn't merely about a change of religion. That's what most people use the term today, isn't it? 
uh, particularly in the States, people talk about, oh, I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian, and we hope they are. Uh, but it's not just a religious description. It's not something just to put on um, a form or something. Jesus said it's essential that we are born again in order to see the kingdom of God. It's when God takes a person, dead as they are in sin, and makes them alive. When he gives them a new heart, a new heart which beats with love for him and overflows in love for others. And again, if you've come to Christ if you've asked him to forgive you, if you've sincerely renounced trying to make your own way to heaven and you're trusting in Christ to get you there, and the Bible says you've been born again. You've been given a wonderful new life. You are a new creation. And Peter says, let that out. Live the new life that Christ has given to you. But... Having said that, uh, it's necessary to say that just because you've been born again, just because you've been given a new life, a new life of love, that does not mean that loving others will always be easy in your life. We've been given new life, but that does not make love always easy. Let me just give an example to illustrate it. Do you remember Lazarus? Uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus, who died, and he was in the tomb for four days. And Jesus came to the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Like some some preachers said that he said Lazarus, because if he didn't say Lazarus, then all the graves would have opened, and all the dead people would have come forth. Uh, But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And sure enough, Lazarus stands up, and he walks out of the tomb, still dressed in his grave clothes. But uh, just imagine, if you can, that you were Lazarus in that moment. Now, when he was dead, he could not obey that command. He was dead. That's what it means to be dead. He couldn't obey the command. But Christ's words gave him life. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, His words, in a mysterious, miraculous way, which I don't understand, but God does, his words gave life to Lazarus' dead body. But, I don't know what being dead for four days does for you, um, but I can't imagine it makes your joints particularly supple. Um, It could have been a struggle for Lazarus to get up in that tomb. I don't know, maybe he didn't want to get up. Maybe he didn't want to get up at that too. I don't know what memories he had in those four days of where he was. That's a bit of a mystery, where he was in those four days. But perhaps he didn't want to live life again. Perhaps he was happy where he was. He was wrapped in grave clothes. Um, No doubt they were inconvenient to walk in. Um, Imagine they weren't tied on him with the thought that he would get up any time soon. And yet he obeyed because he heard his master's voice. When he was dead, he couldn't obey. Now he was alive, he could obey, even though it may not have been the easiest thing to do. And I'll just give that an illustration, as an illustration of what it's like for us. 
We've been given new life by God. But that does not always mean living a life of love is easy all the time. It means we can live a life of love, which we couldn't have lived before, but sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, In the same way that life is harder when you're awake than when you're asleep. Have you noticed that? Uh, Sometimes you just want to go to bed because you just want to shut off um, your life from all the difficulties around you. Uh, Some people do this. They, They go to bed because they just don't want to deal with life with all its complications and difficulties. Uh, Life is often more difficult than being asleep or even being dead, at least for the body. But God gives us that new life and he says, live it out despite the difficulties, despite the obstacles, despite the complications. Obey because we hear our master's call. That's why we should love one another. That's why we should love each other even when it's hard, even when it's a struggle, uh, even when we would rather not, because our master calls us to it. Uh, I've used this illustration twice in two separate sermons, but I feel I have to use it again. Um, I gave the the story of that little shepherd boy who uh, had his sheep and goats stolen essentially by the government and the government told him that he could uh, redeem his sheep if he could choose his own sheep from the mass of sheep um, gathered from all the people round about and so the boy stands in front of this huge flock of sheep and he's only got eight seven or eight in the whole flock and the sergeant there mocks him for thinking that he can choose his sheep out of so many then he draws out his little pipe and he blows on it and his sheep come out of the flock. And that's what we should be like with Christ. Christ gives us his words. Christ commands us. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And the response of a born-again person, the response of a true believer, is to follow his call, to obey simply because he has called us to it. That's what I find most encouraging when Life gets difficult when it becomes hard to uh, love people as I should. To remember it's what Christ's call on my life is and what Christ's call on your life is if you are a believer. So let's take to heart Peter's words here. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And with God's help, trustfully, we'll be able to do that more and more. And with those thoughts, we're going to close by singing uh, our final hymn, 524. Uh, It's a hymn really expressing uh, our love for Christ, but speaking of the life that God gives to us when we simply come to him. It's number 524. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who causes pain, for me to him who him to death pursued. And I've particularly chosen it for verse 4. 
Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So let's stand to sing five, two, four. <laughs>